Denizens of the Night. Welcome to another episode of the Macabre, the Terrifying. Broadcasting live from a rapidly sinking passenger ship, I will be your guide through the witching hours. Tonight, we'll meet a maintenance worker aboard an ill-fated cruise ship who decides that no matter the cost, he deserves to survive the sinking of the boat. The only problem is that even if he's able to get off the sinking ship, he's still out in open ocean. Far from land, floating above miles and miles of dark water and shrouded in a dense fog bank which doesn't seem to be lifting. This story is called Down With The Ship and was written by A.G. Hilton. A groaning of twisted metal resounded through the corridors of the ship. This time, Clint Bateman knew it wasn't his imagination. The ship had actually shifted beneath his feet. The panicked cries of those fleeing grew to a fever pitch. Well-dressed men and women ran without direction, heedless of the grimy maintenance worker who watched them go. When the groaning again came from below, Bateman knew the sea jewel was going under. The trouble had started earlier in the night with some scuffle on the deck. At first, he thought it had been more of the mundane problems. A complaining passenger asking for a manager or a drunk and disorderly poker player ousted from the casino lounge. But then, they had run into a fog bank and the call had gone out for all hands on deck as the boat struck something. Evacuation protocols were in effect, and Bateman knew that he was expected to help get the passengers into lifeboats. But feeling that shifting beneath his feet, he'd begun to reconsider that women and children first stuff. The blood-curdling screams sealed the deal. His bag in hand, he made for the kitchen. He knew the corridors and service ways, making the trip quickly. The cooking staff were gone, the food stores spilled and in disarray, and he darted about, stuffing cans, bread, bottles of water, and anything else that might keep fresh into his sack. Then it was up to the deck and the life rafts. The screaming and crying reached a fever pitch here. Beneath the ghostly moonlight that barely penetrated the fog, the passengers seethed in absolute hysteria. Some kind of fighting was going on. People lay here and there in crimson pools. A musky sea-bottom smell permeated the air, the scent tickling a deep part of his brain and triggering a deeper-seated flight response. Whatever was happening didn't matter. He was getting out. 
A quick perusal indicated most of the lifeboats had already been launched. He knew, per regulation, only a portion of the passengers and crew were actually required to be accommodated by the boats in the event of an emergency, leaving the remainder to launch in self-inflating rafts. Many rafts had been taken. Others lay about the deck, deployed prematurely and damaged during the panic. Luckily, at least one or two had been overlooked. Slinging his bag over his shoulder, Bateman hauled out a blood-smeared, bulky case, making sure to check that it showed no signs of physical damage. Casting quick glances at the others hurrying about, he slipped away toward the aft of the ship. Hey! Help us! Bateman caught sight of some well-dressed passengers trying to figure out the raft instructions. He didn't know if the call was aimed at him. Didn't care. He kept his head down and tried to block out the screams and the sounds of violence. Beneath his feet, the ship lurched anew. Away from the chaos, Bateman set about preparing to deploy the self-inflating raft. He knew that unless he planned to deploy the craft on deck and attempt hauling it over the side, his best bet was to secure the pull rope and toss the boxy casing to the water, letting the weight of gravity activate the inflation process. He was running through the logistics of the process when a voice came at his shoulder. You getting out, Bateman? Bateman nearly screamed and wheeled around to find a broad face staring back at him with alcohol-reddened eyes. He grimaced, recognizing the line cook, Erickson, at once. Get lost, Bateman hissed. You're slipping out, aren't you? That the last raft? Erickson's head bobbed like some great circus bear. The pungency of alcohol rolled out on his breath. I'm getting out with you. Bateman looked past Erickson's bulk. Amid the chaos, everyone seemed to have forgotten the life rafts, but now he saw one or two heads turn their way. Bateman clutched the encased raft against his chest and tightened his grip on his meager food supply. Fine. Come if you're coming, but keep your voice down. Erickson fumbled with the pull rope on the raft case but finally succeeded in securing it to deck rail. Bateman tossed the case overboard and watched as the rope jerked and the self-inflating raft did its work. In the end, Bateman was glad for the second set of hands. No sooner than the raft was deployed, the ship pitched suddenly and the deck turned nearly vertical. He pitched over the side, landing in the raft with his bag of food and scrambling to find his way beneath the craft's tent-like canopy. Erickson flopped into the water and clambered in while Bateman cut the pull rope away from the deck. A few people had seen them. Passengers in suits and dresses who had plunged over the deck nearby and came swimming for the raft. But Bateman pushed away from the sinking boat and the grasping hands. When a few more daring escapees persisted in clinging to the side and threatening to overturn the raft, he struck them about their heads until they lost their grips. As they fell back, each one spluttered and slipped beneath the frothing surface. Once or twice, 
Bateman imagined he saw stealthy shapes slipping around in the black water where the swimmers had gone under and shuddered. Come back! screamed a man dangling from the ship's railing. Come back and help, you cowards! Bateman turned away and with Erickson's help managed to paddle further from the wreckage into the surrounding fog. His whole life, those rich bastards and others like them had done nothing but bitch at him. He couldn't care less what happened to the lot of them. Let that bastard Captain Kurtzman help them. Go down with the ship and all that. Clint Bateman would live. The fog closed in on them. Erickson slumped in the raft's corner, a useless lump. Bateman continued to paddle, using an odd bit of wreckage, casting one last look at the sinking vessel. They drifted around the aft, and as the ship began to fade from view, he saw her go belly up. It was difficult to see the damage in the dark, but the sliver of moon seemed to reveal long score marks like slashes along her bottom. The light of morning came as a dull yellow that poked feebly through the murk of the fog bank. The air hung still and stagnant, feeling more like the atmosphere one would expect in a swamp rather than on open water, and already a feverish heat filled the raft's tent-like interior. But at least the canopy kept the sun off them. Bateman sat by the zippered opening in the canopy, clutching his meager bag of supplies and wondering what his next move would be. God, my head! Erickson lay on his back, one forearm covering his eyes. The ruddiness had gone from his cheeks, and since dawn he'd thrown up twice through the raft's zippered door. Bateman, how about giving me something from that bag? Bateman's eye darted between the man and the sack lying in the corner. He'd not counted on having another mouth to feed. We don't have much. Gotta save it. I've got a bitch of a hangover. You saw I already threw up what I had. I need a little something to help me out. Some water, too. Bateman gathered the bag and peered at its contents. Not much for one man, and he knew Erickson didn't know the first thing about moderation. Come on, Erickson whined. Just a little something, just a bite. Hesitantly, Bateman tossed him a small can of peaches. Erickson sprang to life, fumbling with the tab on top before finally opening it and throwing the peaches down his gullet. How about some water? Bateman offered one of the bottles he'd packed. He stood close by, and after Erickson had a few gulps, he snatched it back. Easy, little man. Erickson belched and wiped his mouth. You got plenty in there, I've seen. No, there's barely enough. We're adrift God knows where. Who knows how long before someone has a chance of coming across us? The big man shrugged. Better here than back there. I just wanted off that boat. Something bad was going down. 
A note of tension entered his voice. You know what happened? Bateman fixed his companion with a cool gaze. They'd not spoken about the sinking of the Sea Jewel, and it seemed best to keep speculation about the night at bay. Despite appearing cavalier, Bateman sensed an anxiety rising in Erickson that didn't bode well. It was an accident. Just a bunch of panicked fat cats climbing over one another to try to save themselves when our illustrious captain managed to wreck us. A silence stretched between them. At last, Erickson said, That's the thing, though. What was there to hit? We were supposed to be in open water. I don't know. Maybe a reef or something. Maybe they got disoriented in that fog. Ran into some island shallows. I don't know. Erickson picked at his nails. There was something else on the deck, you know. Some in the water, too. Maybe the boat... Stop it. It was just an accident. That's all. After a time, Erickson got unsteadily to his knees and crawled over to the zippered opening, poking his head out. You haven't hurt anyone, have you? What do you mean? People, man. Other people. You saw all the boats being launched. We couldn't have drifted that far apart, right? There are currents. There's no way to know... Hey! Erickson's voice boomed across the placid water, only to be swallowed in the fog. Anyone out there? Listening to the stillness that answered Erickson's calls, a shiver of anxiety ran through Bateman's gut. He thought of the raft, alone, atop fathomless depths, no hope of solid ground for miles, and felt exposed and small. Stop it, Bateman said. But maybe we can find others. They might have more food. It'd give us a better chance. Maybe, but we should lay low. Preserve our strength. It's going to be hot, and we got to conserve our supplies. Erickson seemed to think about this, but eventually he settled back, satisfied with the explanation. For his part, Bateman was not looking for more mouths to feed. He knew whatever people made it off the sea jewel had left with no thought other than getting their posh asses into a raft. They'd have no food and be of no help. One extra mouth was already far too much in his opinion. But beneath this line of thinking lay an additional unacknowledged reason for silence. It didn't seem wise to disturb the quiet of the sea. Bateman, look! The sound of his name brought Bateman thrashing awake. He did not recall drifting off, but at some point he had descended through the depths of sleep and drifted into the jaws of a waiting nightmare. He dreamed of being thrown from the ship into black, churning waters. He'd struggled to stay afloat, but cold hands clutched at his legs, drawing him down into fathomless depths and crushing pressure. Being awakened felt like a relief until the facts of his predicament reasserted themselves. Come on, Clint, you gotta take a look. 
he rolled over and saw Erickson motioning him toward the open flap in the canopy. Crawling on all fours, he made his way to the big man and peered out. The fog had lifted somewhat, and just in view bobbed another life raft. It seemed to be slowly drifting their direction as if caught in a current. Maybe they have more supplies, Erickson said. Bateman squinted against the glare of the sun on the water. Something seemed off about the raft. Erickson let out a bellow. Hello? Anyone there? Hello? Bateman realized the canopy on the approaching raft was sagging. It looked to have been torn in several places. He watched for some sign of movement, some answer to Erickson's call, but none came. Neither man spoke. They sat and watched as the raft drifted closer, displaying no signs of life. Eventually, the raft drifted nearly against them. Upon closer inspection, it looked to have been through a war zone. The canopy hung in shreds, as if sliced by numerous razors. The whole thing sagged, indicating an unseen leak. When the breeze turned toward them, a putrid smell mingled with the salt air. Erickson covered his nose. God! What happened? Bateman stood and carefully set a foot upon the other raft as it drifted beside them. It held his weight. Hold them together. I'm going to take a look. It had been clear from the beginning that no one was on board, but as Bateman opened the zippered flap and peered beneath the canopy, he realized the raft was anything but empty. The full weight of the smell hit him first. A hot, gaseous wave that reminded him of the water treatment plant his father had worked at when he was a child. And there, in the shadows, beneath the shredded canopy, he found its source. Corpses, or more accurately, pieces of corpses. Limbs and digits lay strewn about the sagging raft, each one looking to have been torn or twisted away from its body. Yet, for all the carnage present, there was not enough anatomy to compose a whole body, simply a jigsaw puzzle of viscera. Bateman stumbled back, almost falling into the water as he plunged back toward their raft. Bile surged up his throat, and he vomited into the sea. What the hell happened? Erickson turned his wild gaze to Bateman. You think... Something got him? What? I, I don't know. I, I mean, for them to be like that. Maybe a shark or something. They both looked on for a moment, and though neither spoke, Bateman sensed that Erickson was thinking the same thing. What shark comes aboard to butcher passengers? Erickson grabbed Bateman and pulled him close. You don't reckon? I mean, you don't think it could have been whatever got the ship? Stop it with that! Bateman pushed the man away. You gotta keep it together. Nothing got the ship. 
The only one to blame for the sinking is Captain Kurtzman. Got it? Erickson turned back to the carnage. Got it? Bateman repeated. Erickson gave a non-committal nod, and both men watched as the raft began to drift away from them. Soon it would be an indistinct blur on the hazy horizon, and they would once again be alone atop the depths below. Seeing the doomed raft drift away, Bateman felt a chill despite the heat of the day and wrapped his arms around himself. Too bad they didn't have any food, Erickson said. The heat weighed oppressive on them. The fog hung ever-present, and Bateman could not tell how many hours or days may have slipped past. Once or twice, Erickson began calling out into the haze, but each time Bateman silenced him. They were alone. No one would hear their cries. Of that, Bateman was now sure. But now he acknowledged the worry that something might. There remained little for them to do but sit in a daze, drifting between fevered sleep and waking. A sound caught Bateman's attention. He tried to ignore it. Having been confined to this space with Erickson, he had come to pick up on the man's every movement and noise in the silence, and each one had become an irritation. No doubt Erickson felt the same, and the two men lived now in exhausted and charged silence. Bateman rolled on his side, away from the intruding noise. The humidity under the raft's canopy drank the vitality from his bones. He strained to keep his eyes open against the call to unconsciousness, for when they closed, he would be on the Sea Jewel again, and he knew that this time there would be no life raft. Instead, there would be only the pawing fingers in the water. Bateman started. He'd begun to drift off again. Simply by thinking of it, the vision seemed to form before his eyes. He shook it away. It was a deadly fantasy, a weight that would drown his mind if he let it. But he would push on. Clint Bateman would live. He deserved to live. The irritating noises from Erickson persisted. Bateman rolled over, ready to scream at him, but when his gaze focused, he found his companion rifling through the sack of food. What are you doing? Erickson glanced toward him, like a child caught with his hand in the cookie jar. But then his gaze turned hard, challenging. Just looking. We have to save it. There's only so much... It's been days. You don't let me have anything but water and a bite of bread. I'm hungry. We've got to save it. Erickson's face went purple. You're so goddamn selfish. If I leave it up to you, I'll starve while the food sits here in front of me. You just want to keep it from me. I know you'll get into it when I'm asleep, you miserable cowardly bastard. Bateman got to his knees. His joints ached with the movement. 
He felt the weight of exhaustion and dehydration weigh him down, like an anchor slung across his shoulders. Calm down, he hissed. His eyes focused on the bag in Erickson's hands. I'm trying to save us. Us? Oh, that's rich. You're cold, Bateman. You only care about yourself. I saw how you pushed those people off the raft that night. You killed them. Calm down. Bateman inched closer, his eyes darting between the sack of food and Erickson's eyes. You left those people too, you know. Now just sit and leave the food be. Shut up! I'm not like you! I was just scared! I helped you, but I know you would have left me if you could. Oh, I got your number, Bateman. I'm tired of... Bateman leapt at him, clawing for the sack. He was quick, but weak from the lack of food and the heat. Erickson clutched the bag tightly, pulling it toward him. Bateman was so focused on pulling the food from the big man that he never saw Erickson's other arm swinging in a backhand that caught him in the temple and sent him reeling. Bateman hit the water, the cold shocking him back to his senses. In the dark, he floundered for some handhold, but every desperate grasp that hoped for solidity found more water. He swiveled about, but could not see the raft anywhere. Panic rose, threatening to drown all rationality as surely as the water would steal his breath. He tried to think, to understand what had happened. It was Erickson. That coward had thrown him out of the raft. The thought burned inside him. He should have left Erickson on the deck of the ship. He was just like the rest of them, a parasite draining Bateman dry using him as a stepping stool to climb the social ladder. His anger spurred him on. He thrashed out with powerful strokes despite his exhaustion, yet to no avail. The raft seemed to have vanished into the darkness. Something brushed his foot. He screamed and inhaled a mouthful of seawater, sending him gagging and sputtering. A few yards away, something bobbed to the surface. Round and pale, it floated there like a buoy. Then it rolled, and Bateman saw it was a man's bald head. The well-dressed man, who had called to him from the deck of the sinking ship, smiled at him. Coward. The man's voice was cold and bubbled like the sea around them. When his eyes opened, they bulged and glowed, two full moons without a hint of iris, his neck flexed with gills. He swam toward Bateman, and the sea-bottom smell of the man settled around him in a slimy miasma. Still choking on water, Bateman tried to swim away while the man reached for him, with hands that had shed their humanity in favor of scales and webbing. But as he retreated, more hands came from all around. More pale faces bobbed to the surface. Soon they had hold of him, and though he fought, 
The salty brine began filling his nose and mouth as the hands dragged on him. No! Bateman jerked awake, pulling his face back from the puddle in the raft bed into which it had settled, coughing and spluttering as he rolled on his side. The vision receded from his mind. His body relaxed as the sensation of drowning left. Looking back at the small puddle, which had nearly been his demise, he felt an absurd laughter rising in his throat. But the twinging ache in his face dispelled his crazed mirth. He turned quickly, expecting another attack from Erickson, but none came. Bateman realized he must have been out for hours. The sun had set, leaving them in near total darkness, save the faintest moon glow which breached the enveloping fog. By the pale light, he saw the bag. Half its contents had been scattered about the raft. Many of the wrappers and cans had been opened. From the shadows at the opposite end of the raft, he could barely discern the shape of Erickson slumped to the side, a soft snoring emanating from him. For a time, Bateman crouched there, observing the scene. The longer he looked at the wasted food, the more he seethed. Erickson's snoring took on the characteristics of a gnat's buzzing, an endlessly annoying droning born of an ignorant bliss that Bateman hated. He didn't realize what he was going to do until it was happening. Only one thought was clear. Clint Bateman would live. He crept across the raft. A discarded can of peaches lay in his way. He took it up, slipped a finger into the tab on the half-opened lid, and pulled the lid completely free of the rest of the can. It glinted in the moonlight. Bateman sprang. He struck Erickson, driving the sleeping man's head back and slashing the sharp edge of the can's lid across his throat. Erickson's eyes bulged open. He let out a choking cry and swung his arms out in a startled defense. Bateman let the blows roll off him. He clung close to the big man, slashing again and again. Seeming to come fully awake, Erickson's large hands clasped around Bateman's throat. Despite the damage done, Erickson's powerful hands took only a moment to pinch Bateman's windpipe nearly closed. Feeling the tide turn, Bateman cut at Erickson's arms and hands, but the big man would not relent. Bateman felt darkness rising amid a pounding in his head. It was set to swallow him like the sea, but the tides of death receded. For even as he looked on in fear and anger, the lucidity began to leave Erickson's eyes. Bateman felt the killing strength leaving the large hands, could see it draining out of his throat and down his shirt. Bateman shook himself free and scrambled away to the opposite corner of the raft. Erickson slipped down on his side, hands clutched about the wounds in his throat. He looked at Bateman with a final curse in his eye, and then rolled onto his back. Bateman watched for almost half an hour before he was sure the big man's chest 
had ceased its rising and falling. Clint Bateman had lived. He had eaten what remained of the food and drank most of the water. Time and space had slipped loose their moorings in his mind. The fog remained ever-present. He kept Erickson with him. At first, he'd thought to throw the corpse over, but had stopped short. He'd heard stories in the past of shipwrecked men eating each other for survival in the direst circumstances. Those stories had seemed like fantasy, but now he could not deny that his mouth watered even at the smell of putrefaction, which was beginning to grow ever stronger. But he had not partaken. Not yet. Now, he spent his hours curled in the floor of the raft. The heat made him sick and induced feverish dreams. Every time he closed his eyes, he saw the carnage on the ship deck, saw the people crying out. And now he saw things loping about, crawling from the waters below the ship's hull, which lay peeled back like the lid of a peach can. Soon, the fantasies bled into waking life. He lay awake in the void of night, listening to the lapping of the water against the raft and wondering if there wasn't something else beneath the sound. Once, he swore something had pushed against the raft's bottom, a tentative touch that felt like a hand. Then it was gone. The feeling of that touch in the middle of open water made him sick in a way he had never felt. He kept thinking of that other raft, of the human detritus within, and wished someone else were around. He tried to talk to Erickson about it. Erickson was mum on the subject. The fog lifted. The moon shined down upon him with a silver brightness that hurt his eyes. Crawling on his hands and knees, Bateman opened the flap in the sagging raft's cover and marveled at the clear sky. By the light of the moon, he felt he could see miles in all directions. Yet, in all directions, there lay only the dark. The endless lapping of the sea had long turned into a white noise that was a silence all its own. Bateman ought to feel lost amid its endless droning, completely alone in his now self-imposed isolation. But he sensed he was not. For days now, he felt eyes on him. Ever since feeling that ghostly touch from beneath the raft, he found himself bolting awake in response to some primal alarm in his deep brain. It was an alarm that had blared in the minds of Homo sapiens since the dawn of time, revealing disjointed images of teeth and claws and predatory danger. Awfully quiet these days, Bateman said. He sat next to Erickson's rigid body as if the two were friends on a park bench. His stomach grumbled on and on, maddeningly. Again, he considered the stiffening corpse beside him and the sharp edge of the can's lid which lay nearby. Once again, 
The wretched thought flashed through his mind. Try a bite. And before he knew what he was doing, he had cut away a thin strip of flesh from the man's arm. But whatever mad impulse had driven him this far melted away as he held the morsel to his lips. His stomach churned. He scrambled toward the open flap and gagged over the side of the raft as the flesh slipped from his fingers into the water. Bateman lay heaving. The strip of flesh floated on the silver surface of the water for a moment before slowly slipping beneath. In grim fascination, Bateman watched it drift lazily before something snatched it away in a blur of movement. Surprise caused Bateman's heart to catch in his throat. He nearly slipped headlong into the water, but was able to catch himself. He'd heard that sharks had an acute sense of smell when it came to blood and meat, and he'd worried for some time that Erickson might somehow draw them to the raft in a frenzy. But what had snatched the flesh from view had been no shark. It was a hand. Pale, up from some sunless depth, it had come and gone in an instant. And though the impossible sight sent Bateman's mind screaming at him to get away from the water, a dread curiosity held him in place. Leaning over the side, he peered down, demanding his gaze pierce the silvery surface of the moonlit waters to see what was there. But all was black, and only the moonlight reflected back. And the moon itself reflected strangely on the top of the water. As if looking into a mirror, he saw the lunar body in the water like a large silver dollar. Then, by some trick of the water's rippling surface, there were two moons. The trick repeated itself until he saw many moons in the water, and by now some of his fear had been replaced as he wondered at the optical illusion. The world darkened briefly as a wisp of cloud passed in front of the moon above. Only then did his mind realize that the orbs were not, in fact, reflections. They lay not on the water's surface, but beneath it, and he found that he, too, was being watched through numerous sets of pale, bulging eyes. A salt-mingled smell of sea-bottom rot hit his nostrils, and Bateman's mind flashed back to the deck of the Sea Jewel on that fateful night. Ghosts of memory clarified, and through the chaos of that night, he pictured loping forms making for the decks, passengers clasped tight beneath ungainly arms. A guttural grunting came from the back of the raft, followed by a sound like a zipper coming undone. Bateman turned in time to see the canopy behind Erickson's body part before the corpse was seized from behind and dragged backwards. In mindless panic, he bolted after the corpse as if to pull it back, but Erickson had disappeared beneath the dark waters. Before Bateman could pull back, an appendage came through the breach. 
A pale, webbed hand reached for him. Its claws seized him by the tatters of his shirt and pulled him forward. In the silver moonlight, Bateman glimpsed the glistening form to which the arm belonged, crouched at the raft's edge, staring with bulbous eyes. Primordial panic overtook him. The thought of being dragged into the water with those staring eyes sent his arms into a flurry of blows. Then, realizing he still held the sharp-edged can lid, he slashed at the hand, splitting the webbing between the fingers. Something shrieked, and the hand released him before plunging back into the water with a mournful mewling. As Bateman stumbled back to the middle of the raft, he felt forms beneath him, brushing the bottom as they came and went. He still heard the one thing mewling out there in the darkness, the sound wet and garbled in the surf. But soon the call was taken up and repeated all about. By the light of the moon, Bateman glimpsed forms breaking the water's surface like Olympic swimmers. At a glance, some of the things may have been mistaken for humans, but their elongated limbs and grub-pale bodies betrayed them. Once or twice, they once more made to come aboard and seize him, but he fought back with mindless ferocity, driven by the fear of extinction. For even now, Clint Bateman knew that he would live. But something else came like a seismic rumbling from the bowels of the earth. A new call joined the chorus of the things that circled like wolves. It vibrated through the bottom of the raft, deep and low, like a foghorn blast. Suddenly, he sensed something coming, as a runner might sense someone approaching from behind. He was airborne. The raft was thrown into the night sky by tremendous force from below. Bateman had only seconds to realize his predicament as the raft flipped midair, tangling him in the top covering. When he hit the water, the claustrophobia of his entanglement nearly drove the breath from him. He felt things brushing past, sensed eager aquatic hands searching. Somehow, his mad thrashing set him loose, and he tumbled out into the open water. Salt stung his eyes, but still he glimpsed the predatory motions of encirclement. Why he then chose to look down, he could not explain, but some primal sense drew his gaze to the depths, which were illuminated by the brightness of the moon. Far below, he glimpsed something which dwarfed the other creatures. He could only guess at its size and may have mistaken it for a shadow had it not shifted and regarded him with a massive, lidless eye. So pale and cold, it seemed the moon itself watched passively from below. He could do nothing but flee from that gaze. Breaking the surface, he clambered onto the overturned raft, the only thought in his land mammal mind to be out of the water. All fell to silence. 
The silence brought an emptiness filled only by his own expectation of what was to come. He sensed the things still moving beneath him, encroaching and waiting to have their way with him. Above all, he was aware of the massive thing, something big enough to rend a ship's hull with a flick of its claws, biding its time. A sound caught in his throat, an impotent cry for help or for some comfort. But, of course, there was no help, nor would there be any comforting hands, just the cold ones below. He'd seen to that himself. Drifting above the immensity of the sea and the things therein, he had become an insignificant island unto himself. Clint Bateman had lived, and now lived to wait. And in waiting, he could only wonder if it would have been better to go down with the ship. Do we have any thalassophobes in the house tonight? <laughs> I'd wager we have a few more now than when we started. <laughs> I guess in the end, our hero was aptly named, wasn't he? Bait Man? Get it? <laughs> Even though I wasn't rooting for our man Bateman to survive, I still felt a dread settle on me at the thought of being toyed with by some unfathomably large creature and its kin. I wonder if the creature thinks humans taste better when seasoned by abject terror. If you enjoyed this story, please check out the author in the links below. As a matter of fact, Mr. Hilton has released a book called Nightside Tales, with plenty of stories like this one. And if you enjoyed my telling of the story, you're in even more luck. Yours truly narrated the audiobook as well. I may even have a free code or two to give out to any intrepid listener brave enough to send me an email for one. Please also leave a like on this video and subscribe for more stories like this one. Whatever you do, mind the shadows in the water below and don't fall asleep. <laughs>